entering the Freedom Hut. It's a deep state war of leaks underway, my friends. We have another one of the president's phone calls let out for all to hear. And also an IRS, quote, whistleblower says there's been some bad stuff behind the scenes on Trump's behalf. We will deal with these left-wing agitators and much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now... China should start an investigation into the Bidens because what happened to China is just about as bad as what happened with uh, with Ukraine. So I would say that President Zelensky, if it were me, I would recommend that they start an investigation into the Bidens because nobody has any doubt that they weren't crooked. That was a crooked deal, 100 percent. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. President Trump doubling down, tripling down, deciding that he is going to call for uh, the Chinese to maybe look into Hunter Biden's dealings there. This is, I think, keeping the many people, not just in the media, but also in the government, off balance. They had assumed that the recent release of some text messages between Ukraine, U.S. officials dealing with Ukraine policy, where it seemed there was concerns about the appearance, at least, of a quid pro quo in Trump's discussions about corruption investigation in Ukraine. They've assumed all along that they're just going to back Trump into a corner and that then he will back down. That's their ultimate goal here. That's what they're trying to accomplish. And they believe that they will get there. That much is for sure. They do have a a belief that if they have enough people in the government and in the media who are on their side, who are trying to find a way to ruin the Trump presidency, to prevent him from even being a real candidate in 2020. I mean, he might limp into the 2020 election, but he'll be so damaged by the impeachment where the House is going to vote that he should be impeached. They're going to present the articles of impeachment against him that. They're making sure this is over before it's even really before a certain uh, a single vote is cast. That's the plan here. Looks like it might be more difficult than they had anticipated because Trump understands something that more and more of us, I think, will also get. This is now the gloves off total war, trench warfare, chemical weapons used. You name it. This is the nastiest political fight that you are going to see in your lifetime. It's going to be much worse than 2016. Remember, in 2016, there was a widespread perception that Hillary Clinton was so certain to win the nomination that they didn't really want to rock the boat that much. I'm sure the media hated Trump. They were against him. They also were using his rallies for ratings, including CNN. Many of them, I believe, not only benefited from the enormous crowds and viewership that Trump brought in 2016, they also figured... The more the American people see this clown, the less they'll be willing to vote for him. Turned out that wasn't true. But that was a different approach in 2016. Those who say, well, if they were trying to derail the Trump presidency with Russia collusion, why didn't they bring it up in October of 2016? You mean when they released the Billy Bush tape from 
however many years ago that they had been holding on to. Uh, they already had one October surprise that they thought would finish him. And they didn't want to risk looking like they were openly trying to throw the election for Hillary when everybody was so certain that Hillary was going to win. Right? Remember that New York Times voting polling monitor, whatever it was, up in the corner of the newspaper said there was a 90 some odd percent chance Hillary Clinton was going to win on Election Day. It was over 90 percent. Turned out they were a little bit wrong on that one. But this time around, they are going to do everything. They are they have put out an open call. I mean, John Brennan, it was as though he were in the Spanish Civil War and calling on a fifth column, which is where the term comes from, a fifth column to uh, arise from within the intelligence community, from within the federal bureaucracy in order to take down Trump. He said, anybody else who's a whistleblower out there, now's your time. And in fact, I saw Senator Ted Cruz, beard game strong, Senator Cruz. I saw him on Twitter this morning calling for anybody who had whistleblower information of the Obama Biden administration, perhaps to come forward now. You know, this is the fight fire with fire approach. I think Senator Cruz understands what many of his colleagues do not. And that is that that's the only way you're going to be able to make it through this. Anybody who thinks adhering to notions of good faith, fair play to the other side will be sufficient in this political environment is sorely mistaken. And that's why when you look at what's happening right now, it's, it's all predictable. They're so desperate to try and prevent Donald Trump from winning re-election that you have a number of simultaneous efforts to derail, to derail his uh, presidency. The first one is a leak of a conversation. Here, CNN broke this one. Quote, when President Trump suggested without prompting that China should investigate Joe Biden and his son, he thrust another political grudge into what was already the world's most complicated and consequential relationship. The move startled Chinese officials who said they have little interest in becoming embroiled in a U.S. political controversy. And it amounted to the latest extraordinary effort by Trump to op- openly request political assistance from foreign governments. Ah, uh, You see, that's where the editorializing comes in. President Trump is asking them to look into possible criminal activity on their soil. You can look around and say, well, hold on a second, Buck. That's obviously going to affect a primary Democrat political rival. And it's more, I would note, than just Joe Biden that's at stake here in terms of the uh, election. It's the corruption that the Democrats excused for all eight years of Obama. It's the corruption of Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation, which was so blatant and in your face. It's laughable now in retrospect that the journos had so little curiosity about it. And it's the broader scheme of people who, once they ensconce themselves into the establishment in D.C. in the swamp, make sure that their progeny, their relatives, their kids, are able to become millionaires with no particular skills and no real hard work just by the fact that they are related to a person who is in power. That's it. That's all. And there's a, a long and sordid history of this in D.C., and it is bipartisan, of course. But when it happens on the right, you'll read stories about it, and they will call it corruption. When it happens to a Democrat, it's always, 
Oh, but that's just what the market will bear. That's just what the market will bear. You know, Hunter Biden getting fifty to eighty-three thousand dollars a month to be a board member on a Ukrainian natural gas. I mean, it's it's preposterous, my friends. Bill Clinton getting five hundred. I think the most he ever got was eight hundred thousand dollars for a speech, which is absurd. But even getting five hundred thousand dollars from a Russian-backed bank while his wife is Secretary of State—that's disgusting. We know what that is. That's buying favor. It may not be buying a favor, but it is buying favor. It is buying a relationship and a perception and a belief of special treatment down the line, which is why the Democrats are still very sensitive about all this with Joe Biden. But so there is a a number of things that work here with the China. China, as Trump says, we got to start getting drops again on the show. Where, Where are you with my China drop? There's only one way to say it properly. I left them uptown. I'm sorry. Ah, all right. Next time. But there's only a there's one thing that you have to look at here with the China conversation that I I just I expected it. It's not a surprise, but it's so blatant. And that is this is another highly secure conversation that was being kept in a classified uh, in, in a classified holding. And now we see this has been leaked out. Quote, the White House record of that call was later stored in the highly secured electronic system used to house a now infamous phone call with Ukraine's president, which helped spark a whistleblower complaint that's led Democrats to open an impeachment inquiry into Trump. Asked earlier this week about Trump's call with Xi, the White House did not deny that he had raised Biden. Quote, world leaders need to be able to speak freely in their conversations with the president. That is a key component to effective diplomacy, and that is why such conversations are kept confidential, said the White House press secretary. We are not going to start discussing the contents of every conversation President Trump has with world leaders, other than to say his conversations are always appropriate. After this, uh, well, they're talking about Elizabeth Warren reaction. We don't even know about that. <sighs> so the president really does want an investigation of what the Bidens were up to abroad. Now, other countries can say no. Other countries can defer. They can deflect. There's a lot of stuff that could happen here. And if the president goes through the process of having his attorney general confer with the law enforcement officials in these foreign countries, it's legal, my friends. The problem that Democrats are going to keep running into here is that he hasn't broken the law. They can say he has. They'll claim he has. But the campaign finance is a uh, allegation is just a dog that won't hunt. That's what you say when you're from D.C. That's a dog that won't hunt. Yeah. But on an ethical level, I can see some conservatives and some some people on the right are troubled by this. It's bare knuckle. There's no question about it. It's uh, it's letting the Democrats know that their aggression will be met in kind. But I also have to say to you, the president understands that he has been put through investigations as weapons of politics for three years now. Him, his family, his uh, closest aides, his supporters, his entire administration. Bad faith investigation involving Democrats within the government infrastructure who abuse their positions in order to try to take down a president. And now the same Democrat and Democrat media that was fine with all of that and has had no sense whatsoever of being chastened 
after a massive credibility catastrophe when the Mueller report finally came out and we saw there was just no there there. Now they want to tell us that Trump's not allowed to ask for investigations. Only Trump gets investigated, you see. Only Democrats are allowed to use the tools of investigation as a political weapon. We're supposed to just sit quietly and take it. Here's the thing about President Trump. He's not going to do that. This is another criminal effort on the part of the president to involve a foreign power in our elections and to do so by offering a quid pro quo. Unprompted, the president today brought up the trade deal, the tariffs that have been imposed on China and seemed to imply that if China were willing to dig up dirt on Joe Biden, then those tariffs would be eased. Perhaps the trade war could end. He did the same thing with Ukraine with $400 million in military aid and nothing about the fact that he's doing it out in the open for all the public to see makes it any less criminal. So we've got to hold him to account there has to be impeachment or else there will, there will be impunity. And that will set the precedent that some people are above the law in this country. And the moment we do that is a moment that we lose this democracy and lose this country. So uh, full speed ahead for those who are investigating the president and holding him to account. Beto's right and he's wrong. Or he's wrong and he's right. He's wrong that it's criminal. It's not criminal. They can try. They'll keep saying it. Um. Uh, but he's right that they're going to impeach, and that, that much is clear. All of a sudden, Beto O'Rourke is an expert on corruption law and, and international, uh, international corruption statutes. I think that's very unlikely. Why can't the president ask for this? Where does it say the president is not allowed to ask a foreign leader to look? Now, you could say that it's this is what they're going to try and push. They're going to try and convince people that it's just so unseemly. It's so wrong that you should therefore finally give the Democrats their way, drop your support of Trump and either don't show up in the 2020 election or vote for a Democrat. Or if you really want to waste your time, a third party candidate, that's what they want. But that's what they have wanted all along. That has been the purpose of the Mueller probe. That's been the purpose of the various leaks and the hysterical. And I don't mean ha ha hysterical, the, the just shrill, lunatic media campaigns meant to end this presidency by saying that he's crazy, he's going to be removed from office. Remember, the same CNN that's pretending right now like they're just being objective journalists trying to push back on Trump, that same CNN put a woman on TV in primetime on Anderson Cooper's show to claim that the president of the United States had raped her 30 years ago. And then the whole thing fell apart when it was clear that she's an emotionally disturbed person. And, and is not all and that was not not credible anymore after the interview that she gave on CNN in real time. That same CNN now wants to tell us that and don't even get me started on Kavanaugh and Blasey Ford and the way that the mainstream networks treated that issue and the way that they've been so disingenuous, so dishonest. In fact, New York Times, I think, has a piece today about Blasey Ford and hashtag me the test of me, too. I think they called it. Yeah, the test was that we knew the left would eventually weaponize a movement for partisan purposes, and that is what they did. But back to this China issue. Uh, Look, the president is a tough negotiator. He sees advantage. He sees ways to get his way, and he's going to go for it. Now, this may upset people, and this may be very bothersome to Democrats, but we either have a commander-in-chief who has the full usage of law enforcement resources 
at his disposal, meaning he can do things that are not a violation. This is a, he can't say lock this person up. He can't violate habeas corpus. He can't uh, you know, violate some individual's constitutional rights. Calling for an investigation. Democrats call for investigations all the time. Calling for an investigation is not a violation of any law. This is what the Democrats don't understand. They've been doing this and we've seen them do it. The president can say, yeah, I think this person should be investigated. No, you can claim that there's there's a corrupt motive or corrupt intent behind that, but that's what the political process is for. Until he does something that is a clear violation of law or violation of an individual's constitutional rights, they're just saying that they hate Trump. They don't have him on this yet. They can't do what they think they're going to do, which is flip Trump supporters against him based upon this allegation. But then there's also the matter of another. So the China phone call, another leak, it seems, that's my understanding, uh, another leak from from inside the government, somebody with very high level classified access figured, okay, I'm just going to spread this information around to the media and it'll damage Trump. Now we also have an IRS whistleblower. And I knew that this was going to come up at some point. In fact, I've believed all along, and I say this now, and I think that we should probably mark this one because I believe that I'll be right in the end. I think that eventually you'll see somebody come forward, not openly, but someone from within the IRS is going to leak Trump's tax returns, which would be a felony, a criminal act, but someone will do it. I think that's going to happen. Because the hashtag resistance, you're, you're seeing it just getting started now. These people are crazy. I mean, they really think that Trump is a, is a threat to democracy and, and they'll do anything to stop him. I don't say this lightly, but let's be frank. A national nightmare is upon us. The basic rules of our democracy are under attack from the president. We begin tonight with a series of admissions by the president that all but assures his impeachment in the House of Representatives. It's a moment of truth for Republicans, and they've been largely silent on what we've seen from the president. Today, he publicly called on two foreign governments to interfere in the presidential election by investigating his chief 2020 political rival. So what you just heard is a public admission of the allegations at the heart of the House's impeachment inquiry and at the heart of the whistleblower's complaint that the president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, is using the power of his office to solicit foreign interference in the 2020 election while doing it relying on a debunked conspiracy theory or two. By the way, this is not hearsay. This is not a leak. This is not a whistleblower complaint. It's not a memorandum of a phone conversation. You heard the president himself do it on the White House lawn. This moment should arguably be a national emergency. The founding fathers would have considered it a national emergency if the president publicly lobbied multiple foreign governments to interfere in the next election. And yet there has been virtually no condemnation from the president's party at all on this remark, which is remarkable considering the precedent it would set and the lasting damage it would do to our democracy. It's tough to say lightly, but this is the moment that we're at. Oh, my gosh. We're in such a crisis. I just don't know how the country is going to survive. The president saying that there should be an investigation into what appears to be possible corruption and criminal wrongdoing in, involving U.S. officials in foreign countries. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh, no. Producer Mark, hold me. I'm so scared. <laughs> Chuck Todd. They're there. Thank you. Thank you. I, I needed a little... A little pat on the back to make me feel like every little thing was going to be all right. Oh, man. This is what I, I was telling you they're crazy. And you're just like, Buck, oh, come on, they're not crazy. Oh, they're pretty crazy, it turns out. They really have an emotional, an emotional disorder here. 
something has really gotten to them in the whole era of Trump. Oh, no. What, what's going what's gonna to happen? What if Trump stays president and then, and then the economy is going to keep doing really well and people will have more money and the government won't be annoying us all as much and we won't start any terrible foreign wars? I know, it sounds like a dystopia. It sounds like a future that none of us would make it through. Oh, no. What if, what if Trump for four more years? How, how could we head? You know, we've already, the, the, the craziness that they had initially, you could at some level not justify, but you'd say, all right, I mean, I don't know. Trump is kind of a wild, wild card. He's a loose cannon. You know, maybe he is going to do some crazy stuff. I mean, I didn't think that was the case, but now he's been, he's going on. We're going into year four here pretty soon. And guess what? It's been really good, but we are told, oh, it's terrible because of the tweets and because he makes fun of the media. I just want to ask Chuck Todd a question. I would like to sit down and ask Chuck Todd a question. If foreign interference in the election, which is this is the that is the phrase that is the the slogan that is emblazoned, that is seared into the minds of so many people on the left. And that's all that it, it it's like they've been trained. It's, it's Pavlovian now. Foreign interference in the election. They all freak out. If foreign interference in the election is something that is a, a threat to our democracy, you hear him say it. That's another phrase, threat to our democracy. This is all propaganda. The repetition of this boilerplate is meant to seep into your brain and evoke certain feelings. And immediately, of course, feelings of, oh, my gosh, Trump is the worst and he's terrible and he's horrifying and all the rest of it. Okay, so. With all of that, I would ask Chuck Todd the following. Mr. Todd, if foreign interference in our elections is the evil that you clearly think it is, why was it okay for a foreigner to be paid by Hillary Clinton's campaign to go speak to other foreigners about someone that they all knew was running for president get information from those foreigners and then come back to America and feed that information as a foreigner gathered from foreigners into the U.S. media and also the intelligence community, which then used it to actively spy on a rival presidential campaign, the Trump campaign. How is that not foreign interference in the election? They're all foreigners. Is there somebody want to explain to me how that doesn't? <sighs> but then they never even deal with that. And that was pay- they were paying. I mean, Hillary Clinton's campaign, the DNC, was paying a law firm to pay to get this oppo information. And they were looking for something that would just completely destroy Trump's chances at being president. And they were looking for the one cure all of Trumpism. And it didn't they didn't get it. But that's what they were trying, trying to get to. Uh, So I just want to put in context the foreign interference issue. I'm also seeing reporting that Democrat senators were asking not just foreigners in Ukraine, but trying to leverage the U.S. embassy in Ukraine to get information that would be damaging on. Oh, that's right. Paul Manafort, who was Trump's campaign manager for a time. So that's this is what they've already done. And that's why Trump doesn't back down about this. He's not shy about it. He goes, yeah, I I think we should have an investigation, too. How about that? How about that? Um, They are also desperate to undermine anything that's going to come out of the investigation that Attorney General Barr is leading and his U.S. attorney up in Connecticut is is going forward with as well. That's going to be something that really uh, 
it just will undermine the, the media's credibility to anybody who isn't completely in the tank for them. I mean, there are people that obviously watch MSNBC and CNN, and I think they don't mind when something is wrong, meaning factually wrong. I don't think they mind when Rachel Maddow goes off on some tangent and does this whole, oh, I'm bringing you into this tale, this sordid tale of Russia and collusion. And it turns out that it's all bogus. It's all nothing. They were entertained and they appreciate where Maddow's efforts are going, which is to destroy the president. So these audiences and the the readership of places like the New York Times, which had a, a writer today ask and she had to, she then deleted this tweet but a senior writer at the new york times put out today that she wants to know if there is such a thing as a pro-trump writer who isn't a i think it was either a, oh yeah a racist or a constant liar those were her those were her questions you know is there such a thing as a trump writer who's not a racist or a liar i, I would raise my hand but she uh, she deleted the tweet because she realized that was probably a little a little too much honesty about what the new york times newsroom thinks about Trump supporters. Now you now you know for yourself, or you've already known that for a long time. But this is where you have to really look at what the president's options are. Do what the left says and let them steamroll him and take the presidency. And then we all have to live under a probably a Warren administration, which is going to be pretty terrifying. Um, you know, maybe maybe a Biden administration. Who knows? But The president has decided that the Bidens aren't above the law anymore like Hillary was above the law. Oh, that's right. That investigation. You remember that of the emails? Hillary broke the law many times. Was she ever treated like a suspect in a criminal probe? Really? No, it was always the kid glove treatment. It was always, oh, we have to be gentle with Hillary because she's going to be the next president of the United States. That was very obvious. It was very clear all along. So, my friends. We understand what the stakes are. We understand how they're going to be fighting against us. We might as well accept that this is going to be a very, a very difficult political period in this country's history and uh, strap in, put on a helmet and get ready for it. Once again, have the president of the United States suggesting, urging a foreign country to interfere uh, in our presidential elections is an illustration that this president who's learned anything from the uh, two years of the Mueller investigation is that he feels he can do anything with impunity. Um, the President of the United States encouraging a foreign nation to interfere again to help his campaign uh, by investigating Iran uh, is a fundamental breach of the President's oath of office. Uh, it endangers our elections, it endangers our national security. It ought to be condemned by every member of this body, Democrats and Republicans. First of all, Ambassador Volker, unbelievably knowledgeable about what was going on in Ukraine, just a true um, professional in our diplomatic corps. Uh, but not one thing he has said comports with any of the Democrats' impeachment narrative. Not one thing. Who's telling the truth? Who do you trust? Jim Jordan or shifty Adam Schiff? Obviously, you know where I come down on this, but I think it's important that we we frame it in these terms. Who do you think is likely telling the truth here? Jim Jordan or Adam Schiff? Adam Schiff, who used to claim openly that he had evidence of collusion with the Russians. Where was that evidence? 
Just tell the American people, oh, there's evidence of the of collusion with the Russians. Yet it never showed up. We never actually saw said evidence, did we? No, we did not. So now we have to look at what comes next. Oh, there'll be more leaks. There already have been some. Uh, the IRS whistleblower. I, I meant to get to this before. Here you go. This is on, uh, oh, it's all over the place today. I think it's, yeah, the Washington Post. An Internal Revenue Service official has filed a whistleblower complaint uh, uh, reporting that he was told that at least one Treasury Department political appointee attempted to improperly interfere with the annual audit of the president's or vice president's tax returns, according to multiple people familiar with the document. Trump administration officials dismissed the whistleblower's complaint as flimsy because it is based on conversations with other government officials. But congressional Democrats were alarmed by the complaint. Oh, of course, now circulating on Capitol Hill and flagged it in a federal court filing. They're also discussing whether to make it public. All right, my friends, a few a few things right off the bat here, a few things that we should be uh, quite clear on. Now we have people in the federal government who see this as their opportunity to be heroes of the hashtag resistance as well. Imagine working for the IRS and hearing from somebody else something that they did not feel the need to go and file a whistleblower complaint over. But you, the whistleblower in this case, the so-called whistleblower, Understand that this is an opportunity to, if nothing else, feed another damaging story about the president to the media. And once that story is out there, even if it is eventually debunked, even if it does not end up being what we have been led to believe, the initial damage is still done. Initial damage is still very much there. So you're going to be a hero of the resistance because you're damaging Trump in the process. You're going to be a hero of the resistance because President Trump looks like a guy who maybe is trying to do something or someone on his behalf, I should say, is trying to do something behind the scenes about his tax returns. I mean, this is just absurd. It's absurd. Here we go. The IRS complaint has come amid the escalating battle. We got all that stuff. Uh, The IRS has received less attention than, uh, than the intelligence community complaint, but has divided government officials. Two administration officials have described the IRS complaint as hearsay and suggested it was politically motivated, but they spoke in the condition of anonymity. Democrats who have reviewed it regarded as deeply significant that, if true, suggests that a political appointees may have tried to interfere with government audit process. Friends, this is all politics. It's all politics. This whole thing. This is about politics. Anyone who tells you anything else is either not paying attention or lying. They just don't know. Oh, I like this today, too. There's a report out that one of the reasons the intelligence community inspector general believe that there might have been some bias at work in the initial decision to go forward with that whistleblower complaint about the phone call with President Zelensky of Ukraine. One of the issues that they had was, guess what political party the whistleblower is a registered member of? Anybody want to guess? A Democrat. Now, I know you could say, Buck, come on, there's a lot of Democrats, a lot of Republicans. How do... Okay, but who wants to, who would want to place a bet right now that that's not the only thing we're going to find out about this person's left-wing politics? I, w- I would put a lot of money on it, that this is someone who, was, as I've said before, probably drives to the office every day with an 
I'm with her, you know, T-shirt on and a bumper sticker that says, you know, Bernie and Biden will save the earth or something. I mean, that's that's my guess. That's my guess. Um, But here we are being told that it's just coincidence that all that now you're oh, you're going to see more whistleblowers, too, because you see, this is a way that they can in cowardly fashion attack this president leverage the power or at least leverage the uh, the gravitas of the federal a federal bureaucracy against this president and do so from behind a cloak of anonymity and once the allegations out there you can feed more information to Adam Schiff and others in the uh, congressional oversight and intelligence committees and then they'll leak the information to the press and so this has just become open season now and remember how does the president even get to defend himself from this How does this process even get adjudicated, considering that there's so much incentive in the people that are involved just continuing to come out with more and more? And and if they're wrong, by the way, they said, well, it was secondhand information. So I guess too bad. I guess I don't really have to know anything. I just felt like I'd go for it. You'll see more of this. This is the unelected branch of government lashing out. This is, as I was discussing with you on the show yesterday. The establishment striking at Trump and people who view themselves as even if they're just a cog in the massive machine of the establishment, they think that Trump is a threat to all of this. And there's also a bitterness, too. You see this a lot at the State Department. I'm sure you see this at some level at the IRS and certainly at the EPA and these federal federal agencies where there's a lot of bureaucrats running around who aren't doing all that much. There's a bitterness that they think the president of the United States does not really respect necessarily what they do. They feel underappreciated in the federal agencies that are often far too large, far too powerful and spend way too much time harassing Americans. So it's personal for some of them, too. I know this is the case. I've spoken to people at the State Department where this is a widespread sentiment. President Trump doesn't appreciate all the hard work of the diplomats and A lot of State Department people have a very high opinion of how important their demarches and cappuccino uh, sittings and things like that that they do overseas are for American interests. You know, there's a lot of that going on. If you ever want to see waste, fraud and abuse in action, just just spend spend a few days overseas with the State Department and see how many people are paid to basically do nothing. I know I'm not making any State Department friends right now, but I'm just telling you the truth. They don't like Trump, though. Not all of them, but a lot of them. They don't like Trump. It's just, oh, it's true. That, by the way, CIA has got a lot of waste, fraud, and abuse, too. I'm not just picking on the State Department. Well, we're looking at a lot of different things. China's coming in next week. We're going to have a meeting with them. We'll see. But we're doing very well. Some of the, uh, the numbers, I think, are being affected by all of the nonsense, all of the politics going on in this country by the Democrats. I call them the do-nothings. They do nothing for this country. They don't care about this country. But uh, the numbers really are looking very good going into the future. So we'll see. I have a lot of options on China, but if they don't do what we want, we have tremendous, uh, tremendous power. I just want to take a couple moments here to step away from the partisan food fight and look at something that maybe matters to people's lives a little bit more. The U.S. added 136 thousand jobs in september the unemployment rate is now at a 50 year low 3.5 percent average hourly pay is uh is up considerably from 
uh, where it was even just a couple of years ago. Um, trying to see some of these other some of these other important numbers that you won't, you won't hear from other places. You you just won't hear it. I mean, they're not going to cover it. They don't want to talk about this. But things are going well in the economy in this country. Things are very strong right now. And yet, if you were to pay attention to any of the major news sources out there, you would very quickly get a sense that we are in a, ta- a state of freefall, that, that things are going terribly in this country. Oh, here's, here's one that I want to pull up. Real median household income, the amount earned by those in the very middle, hit 65084 for the 12 months ending in July. That's the highest level ever and a gain of $4,144 or 6.8% since Mr. Trump took office. So median household income, middle-class income is now at, or what I should say is median means the, you guys know median is not the average, but it's the greatest repetition of what is in the middle. Uh, But this is effectively for the middle class. You got $65,000 is the median household income now uh, for the 12 for the 12 months ending in July. And so that's like people getting a seven percent raise in in take home pay. That's nice. That probably helps a lot of folks pay bills, you know, put food on the table, pay the rent, pay the mortgage, car, car payment. That's supposed to be terrible, though, because Trump is the guy who's in office. Could you imagine if there were a Democrat right now, how we'd be hearing about all the brilliance, all the incredible acumen in running the economy. Nope, not hearing it now. Instead, what you hear is the the lunatic asylum of the Democrats just finding issues that normal people don't care about, that are issues for the Democrat activists, the leftists. For example, here is Joe Biden talking about climate change. Play 18. It's not possible for Trump to do any more for the fossil fuel industry. He's turned his back on science. He's pulled America out of the Paris Agreement, which we negotiated. He repealed the new fuel economy standards we put in place by this administration, supported by the automakers. And in return, the money is pouring in. We're facing an existential crisis. The UN tells us We have roughly 10 years to deal with this problem. And he's single-handedly standing in the way. Also, science, technology, common sense, an understanding of history, economic reality. Those are all standing in the way. But let's let's blame Trump for not dealing with the imaginary catastrophe of climate change. My friends, when he talks about the Paris Climate Agreement, when you read that, and I've read it, so I recommend if you're curious, you go and check it out for yourself, or you just listen to the show. It was a big nut. It was. I hate the. I'm going to try to stay away from Nothing Burger, and I'm also surprised that no one has set up a, a burger franchise called Nothing Burger, just because it's such a common phrase these days, you know. But and, and maybe they could sell it as it's like your, you know, it doesn't count. It's a Nothing Burger, so you can eat three of them. No calories. You won't get fat. You won't, you won't have any heart disease from this. Nothing burgers. I, I could write the copy right now. All right, whatever. That's a stupid idea. I agree. But back to the Paris Climate Agreement. 
The Paris Climate Agreement is something that a lot of international, a lot of our international counterparts on the world stage were fine with because it makes them all feel good and look good to their populations who they've terrified into thinking that climate change is this imminent catastrophe that it clearly is not. But then there's no downside for them. There's no mechanisms for them to get punished if they don't do if they don't meet their climate goals. You know what? You know what the punishment is? Another fancy meeting paid for by foreign governments, paid for by the citizens of those governments somewhere around the world where everyone gets to fly in in a government jet and they sit around and they talk about how they're all going to save the world. They get to do some handshakes and some photo ops, drink a lot of lattes, eat a lot of croissant. Yes, I like the croissant and also the um, pain au chocolat. Pain au chocolat is for when you want to go uh, all in, my friend, because it's like a croissant with a bit of uh, chocolat, no? Magnifique. I, yeah, I could go for some pain au chocolat right now, except technically a lot of gluten in there. Yeah. You know what they do not have? Gluten-free croissant. Never even, I've never even seen one. Just really, I'm, I'm missing out it on It probably wouldn't be very good, Buck. Yeah, because you need it to be the the gluten really gives it the uh, elasticity yes, in the bread exactly. And so if you had a gluten free croissant, it would just be like a big fluffy nothing. Just have some chocolate. That's gluten free. Oh, that's what I do all the time. Yeah. yeah, I eat too much chocolate. I gotta slow down. But anyway, so they're gonna have these fancy meetings all over the world, and the fancy meetings, they're gonna talk about how they're gonna deal with the problem that they they fundamentally cannot deal with. But it's interesting to see Joe Biden put this on Trump. It's Trump's fault that climate change is not being dealt with more. I also like that he says he could not, uh, it's not possible for Trump to do any more for the fossil fuel industry. Fossil fuel industry has been responsible for so much economic bounty, so much growth and prosperity, especially in the realm of fracking which I will not forget. They were telling us that fracking technology was going to poison all of our water. Oh, my God. There are these movies made and, you know, Gasland and these other documentaries. Oh, environmental catastrophists. It's all going to be so terrible. Meanwhile, despite the Obama administration making it more difficult uh, for oil producers, for fossil fuel companies than, than they ever really had to deal with before, Despite the Obama administration shutting down drilling on uh, federal-owned land, uh, not giving leases for the federal-owned land to, for drilling purposes, all that stuff happened. Still, the market was able to determine, because the fossil fuel industry is huge, it is the basis of our economy. If we no longer had energy, we no longer have all these amazing tools and, and uh, toys and communications devices and all these different things that we completely rely on. You know, when you're walking around looking at the little supercomputer you have in your pocket, your smartphone, which probably gives you more computing power than the entire NATO alliance had in the 1950s. Yeah, you've got it in your hand. Uh, when you walk around with that, just remember, without fossil fuel to power it, you're basically carrying around a paperweight. And without fossil fuels to transfer it to you. Oh, and also to make the plastic. So you couldn't build it without fossil. Oh, oh, and also <laughs> all the electronics necessary to produce the electronics. I mean, the machinery for, to, that makes the phone to power the electronics that make your phone to transfer your phone to the store, right? To, to ship it and then to actually have it go on and off every day. All, fossil fuel plays a role in all of that. You know, electricity generation 
is overwhelmingly still dependent on fossil fuels. So what do we look at now? What are we going to do now? Oh, okay. Let's all pretend that this is going to change so rapidly. And if it doesn't, it's uh, it's Trump's fault. Uh, I think that they're I think they're putting uh, young Greta Thunberg up for the Nobel Peace Prize. I think I saw that. I'm just going to withhold commentary on it until we see if that really that really happens. Remember, the Nobel Prize was given to Obama for being Obama. I, I it was beyond parody. Thank you, Obama, for all the world peace you've created. Oh, that's right. They gave Obama the Nobel Peace Prize. And then he escalated the war in Afghanistan so that he wouldn't look weak, but had no real plan to win in Afghanistan. In fact, announced a drawdown as he was announcing the escalation, which every military commander I've spoken to said was just baffling. And then toppled the dictator in Libya tried to do some training of opposition forces in Syria and failed miserably, tried to lead a peace coalition in Syria, and and it led to a civil war, or rather there was a civil war where half a million people were killed. But Obama got the Nobel Peace Prize before all of that, so I guess his timing was was somewhat fortunate. But I do think the juxtaposition here of what you see from what the Trump administration is doing, which is making it easier for Americans to pay their bills, Uh, making it so that the government is less likely to have its foot on your on your throat as you're trying to scramble in a very competitive. Remember, the global economy has a lot of benefits, but it also has drawbacks. A lot of things now are scalable at a global level, especially if you're involved in businesses that are mostly online and you either can compete or you get you get beat. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. I'm sorry, but it did. Uh, And that means that there's a lot of uh, people that have to constantly be hustling, finding new opportunities, finding new work, doing things that keep the paychecks rolling in. It's not like you show up and you work for GE for four. GE's in rough shape these days. You know, you show up and work for GE for 30 years, you get your pension and you're done. That's just not the way that work happens for people these days. And so government making it harder for entrepreneurs, for small businesses, overtaxation, uh, mandatory minimum wage that's way beyond what the market would pay. All these things are really problematic. Uh, but looking at what matters to you, I mean, everyone who says the economy is the biggest, you know, it's the economy stupid is the most repeated and annoying phrase you'll hear in election year. Unfortunately, there's a lot of truth to it. On an economic level, Trump is head and shoulders above his opponents. But at this stage of the Democrat primary, they have to focus on these issues that are base turnout, like climate change. Oh, my. They have an investment decision to make, and they decide to invest in politicians in Washington. They decide to start spending money big time in Washington. Oh, campaign contributions, you bet, but so much more lobbyists, think tanks, PR firms, bought and paid for experts. Oh, stop with the bought and paid for experts just for a minute. You get these guys they bring in who say, oh, climate change, no, I don't think so. Dinosaurs loved it. It was, you know, great for salad, whatever. They say this stuff that's No, it is not the consensus of the scientific community. Now, why? Not because 
These guys don't understand science. Not because the guys who are funding it don't get it. They do it because the climate deniers build an umbrella over the politicians. So the politicians can hide under that umbrella and keep taking campaign contributions from the Koch brothers, from the fossil fuel industry, and from the big polluters. And when they're challenged, I'll say, gee, I don't know, the science just isn't clear, don't know what to do, and keep taking the money. There's so much that's wrong here. There's so much to work with. First, as you know, I, I hate the term. Climate. Oh, there, there's Elizabeth Warren. And, you know, oh, gosh, gee golly, she's just, you know, the, the science deniers. Uh, calling them uh, climate change deniers is meant to evoke the Holocaust deniers. Just just so we're all clear, just the same way that I tell you that resistance is picked because of the World War Two resistance against fascism and against the Nazis, uh, particularly in, in France, the resistance. Uh, then there's also Holocaust denial, denial, which we know is a crime in Europe and, and many countries uh, to deny the Holocaust. But to say that we're climate deniers is meant to just negate any discussion or opinion. You cannot say that you are pro-science or you believe in the science and then immediately shut down a discussion about the science. That's not how science works. You don't say, hey, I have the answer if you're a real scientist. And then instead of showing your data and showing why you're correct, just say, you better believe me or else you're a bad person and you, or, or you, you just can't understand the science. Oh, OK. Climate change, folks, the human anthropomorphic uh, climate change, which is the fancy way of saying man, man-made climate change, is theoretical. It is theoretical. People who tell you otherwise don't know what they're talking about, including scientists, because they'd have to admit that, yeah, it's a theory. They can't prove this. They can't show you models that can look at data, spit out figures, and the data can be replicated again and again. They they don't know how to do it. In fact, they keep changing the data once their predictions fall flat. But Elizabeth Warren here is just talking about all the, the contributions and Oh, you know, it was good for the dinosaurs and it was good for salad. Uh, then she talks about how everybody who doesn't agree that the world is going to the world is going to be uninhabitable. And we're all going to die pretty soon unless we let the Democrat left control every aspect of our lives. Then she immediately switches to people who disagree with this. Don't do so in good faith. There's no good faith questioning or concern about climate change catastrophe. It's because they're paid off, you see. This has been the story all along. These fossil fuel experts uh, that she or the people that are paid off by fossil fuel who are experts out there. I, I have never met any of these people. I don't know any of these people. Everyone I know who's a climate change skeptic is just somebody who reads the newspaper, pays attention to what's going on in the world and has some basic common sense. They see the hypocrisy of many of the loudest voices of this movement, their refusal to change even the most egregious personal conduct when it comes to co2 emissions they say well hold on a second if you really believe the things as a climate change activist that you're saying wouldn't you be willing to show some kind of example there was a story i think it was a week or two ago where prince one of these you know princes of uh, great britain or whatever one of the you know, british royal family guys uh, i think it was harry 
said. He's like, he's like, I just, I just have a hard time waking up in the morning. Because that's probably not his accent at all. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds like a guy who's in a band in Liverpool or something. But anyway, he's like uh, a member of a hair band from the 80s came over from the UK. It's like, I'm so worried about climate change. And I just feel a little bit like it goes to 11. You're literally defining the Beatles. A band in Liverpool? Yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah. Liverpool. It's a little different. Liverpool, Liverpudlian accent's really Is that your McCartney yeah. impression? Like, yeah, I'm not really Liverpool. sure. Yeah, I can, I can kind of, I can dig it a little bit. I All can right. do it. Yeah. yeah the but hair's no, similar. I've got the, like, oh, the hair. Yeah, I've actually oh. heard that before. Whatever. Paul he McCartney. He can't grow a beard, though, I don't think. Yeah, he can't grow a beard. Nah. No. Not, not, not a man like this, like this alpha over here. No way. He's a little more revered. No offense. This show is just getting going, my friends. We'll you can't see. take offense we'll, to that. Though. I'm not it's taking Paul offense McCartney. to it. I'm just saying, just wait till we we're, where we go eventually. All right, that's fair. All right, let's switch gears for a second. I want to talk to you about AOC, not the designation for where uh, for French wine. I, I I mean Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. She's like super smart and like has a lot of thoughts on climate change, and it's just like not going to be bullied. By the mean Republican Republicans, you know, she just doesn't want to hear it. She's like, whatever, it's enough. Uh, she has well. First off, let's let's give her her say, shall we? On corruption overseas, Trump, Russia, Biden, all this stuff, Ukraine, whatever, Ukraine, Russia. I mean, I know they're different places, but let's be real. Uh, play, uh, if you would, my good man, clip four, please. First, just just let her weigh in on this one. Basically, long story short, the president of the United States used the power of the United States government to attempt to extort a foreign government into uh, into invest creating a false or drumming up a manufactured investigation into a political opponent. This is a violation of the Constitution of the United States. It is an abuse of power. It is a betrayal of our country. And um, he anyone who does something like that i don't care if you're a democrat or a republican if you abuse power and betray our country in such a manner you must be impeached in order for us to protect our rule of law in our country yeah like the rule of law impeach like betrayal all the things all the things she's upset about them what is the violation of the constitution exactly notice how they never have an actual criminal charge to speak of here they just say it's so illegal. It's like so like totally a betrayal. And OK, how? How so? Also, they, they make a big leap, which is that any investigation of Hunter Biden is illegitimate. Why is it illegitimate? The guy was accepting huge amounts of money from foreign governments while his dad was a vice president. Why is that illegitimate? Democrats have been trying to drag Trump and his family and his friends into court over everything possible all the time, over his taxes, over Stormy Daniels, you know, payoff, over investigation after investigation. But we're, we're supposed to assume that this investigation from the outset, this investigation is a problem. Why? Someone tell me why that is. Uh, well, we know it's because Democrats have their narrative here and they're going to do everything they can to uh, protect it. But let's go a bit further, shall we? Uh, AOC on that. Oh, also, 
Here's AOC on. We're going to get to the big. There's a big AOC thing that we're going to get to in a second that uh, you're going to have to hear. It's It's gone viral all, all over the Internet. And I'm going to be fair about how we talk about it at her town hall. We'll get there in a moment. But I just feel like we haven't we haven't heard from AOC in a while. And it's like super mean because like, why isn't he like just like being, you know, letting me like be on his show? I agree that we've we have not had AOC on. She has not been on. Um, but here she is talking about universal health care. This was an interesting one. Play 23. Actually, I don't believe that employers should, should, um, it, our end goal isn't that employers offer health care. It's that we have a single payer health care system. Um, right now without a single payer health care system, I do think that employers should offer health care. And so, uh, so I think that, and the reason I believe that is because I believe that health care is a right and that, uh, without, reliable access to health care. I mean, that's it's how we deal with some of the barbarism of our system today, quite frankly. That's how you get people who die because they can't afford $300 insulin and so on. That's just not a way that... It's just I refuse to accept an America that allows people to die because they're not afford, able to afford their prescription medications. An America that lets people die. What America does she live in? Because... Right now, if you go into any emergency room anywhere in the country, they are mandated by law to treat you, regardless of ability to pay. So someone tell me exactly where is this people dying because they can't afford a $300 medication? I'm not saying it never happens, but is this this is the system? I mean, any massive system, if you look over the course of healthcare in any country, there will be bad things that happen. There'll be botched operations. There'll be people that waited too long to get seen. You know, that's. That's part of where this all goes awry. They talk about in other countries where everyone has care and everything's paid for. But OK, what what if you do you think those countries keep very good statistics on if you die from an illness while you're waiting for treatment or if you die from an illness because you received subpar treatment? I think that generally a place like the National Health Service in the UK is going to want to give the benefit of the doubt to the state institution and assume that any problems that arise can't be. The, because of the very nature of the system itself, it must be something else that's going on here. But I refuse to accept an America that allows people to die. So I, I bring these up just because of the the hyperbole now that largely defines the way that the most influential and the most prominent Democrats talk about any number of political issues. It's never enough now to just say, hey, I really disagree with President Trump on policy this is how I think things would work better. It's he's a traitor. He's Hitler. He's a criminal. He's, you know, that's that's now the refrain that you will constantly hear. And you have been hearing. And then also that America, if you're opposed to healthcare as a human right, which I, I would ask, what does that really mean? If healthcare is a human right, why should I have to pay for it at all? Why should any of us be paying premiums and and co-insurance and doing all these things, why not just walk around and demand it? I mean, a human right is something you can demand. Housing is a, is a human right. Food is a human right. Why not uh, just add it all in and then say, I don't want to pay for any of this. I, I expect other people to pay for me to have these things, right? It's a human right. Oh, do you mean that the system that we have now, the incredible abundance that has been created. And mind you, you know, as we talk about places like these uh, northern European countries that have done reasonably, uh, you know, they've 
instituted at different levels, socialism in different ways. They're not entirely socialist countries, but they are largely socialist in some of their programs and, and industries. I wouldn't even say, maybe not even largely. Keep in mind that, you know, it's because of the capitalist boom in America, as well as other countries, but it's the free market that has brought us consumer electronics, medicines that save lives, healthcare technologies that would seem like they're out of a future movie from, you know, 50 years ago. I mean, this this is not because of government planning, because of a bunch of bureaucrats sitting around saying, yeah, I've got an idea. Let's do this thing. Uh, AOC, though, thinks that if you have a problem with Obamacare or even more than Obamacare, if you have a problem with universal health care, then you are someone who just wants to accept an America that allows people to die. Hmm. And then something happened yesterday at a AOC. I think it was in Corona, Queens, a place I've only been to once. Producer Mark, do you, are you familiar with Corona, Queens? You're, you're like my special Queens correspondent. Yeah, that's where uh, City Field is. Oh. So, yes. That's where the Mets are? Yes. Oh, so that's, that's hallowed ground then. Of course. That's sacred territory to you. Yeah. I did not know that. Lemon Ice Kings of Corona are there right by the stadium. Oh. It's a hallowed place. Okay. Well, now I, now I know. And knowing is half the battle. So AOC was over there, and she was having a town hall, and someone stood up. And now I, I want to say a few things about this. I, I read, I don't know if this is 100% confirmed yet, but I read that this is a uh, an activist from a, a perhaps a LaRoucheite, Lyndon LaRouche supporters, I think is what. And so this was someone who comes in and tries to mess up what's going on here at this AOC rally. This is not someone who's approaching this in good faith. Uh, but it was interesting nonetheless. And there's a couple of ways to a couple of ways to critique AOC or to discuss AOC's reaction to this. But keep in mind, you know, you have Biden saying this is an existential crisis, AOC talking about an America that lets people die. I mean, they use all this crazy rhetoric. And then this person stands up to uh, essentially troll the community gathering or whatever, you know, the meeting of constituents that AOC, town hall, that's right, town hall. Uh, and and here's how, and this is, there's a lot of stuff on the internet about this now, a lot of uh, tweets and everything else. Play, play clip one. We're going to be here for much long because of the climate crisis. We only have a few months left. I love that you support the Green Deal, but it's not getting, you know, getting rid of fossil fuel is not going to solve the problem fast enough. A Swedish professor saying, you know, we can eat dead people, but that's not fast enough. So I think your next uh, campaign slogan has to be this. We got to start eating babies. We don't have enough time. There's too much CO2. All of you, you're, you, you know, you're a pollutant. Too much CO2. We have to start now. Please, you are so great. I'm so happy that you really support a new Green Deal, but it's not enough. You know, even if we would bomb Russia, we still have too many people, too much pollution. So we have to get 
rid of the babies. That's a big problem. Just stopping having babies is not enough. We need to eat the babies. And this is very serious. Please give a response. Okay, thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. We'll go ahead. Um, okay. No, we'll, we'll go ahead. It's a, no, no, no. Yeah, no. Thank you. So I think... Um, yeah, no, so one of the things that's very important to us is that we need to treat the climate crisis with the urgency that it does present. Um, luckily, we have more than a few months. We do need to hit net zero in several years. Okay, a few things here. I am not going to jump on the bandwagon of AOC should have immediately said we, we don't need to eat the babies because we all know that. Okay. So, and this is a a playoff of, I would assume a modest proposal, uh, the essay written by Swift, if memory serves, where he suggested uh, during a famine that the, the the British clearly just want them to eat the, uh, eat the children, eat their uh, Irish should eat their own children, essentially to deal with the famine. It was uh, a very biting satire this was a yeah. I'm saying it is. They're saying it's a pro. They're calling it a pro-Trump group. I don't know if Larouche is considered pro-Trump. I think they're probably just trying to tie it to Trump. I don't know much about Lyndon Larouche other than the Laroucheites are a pretty wacko bunch. Um, but AOC, I think, handled this reasonably well. I'm not going to be the guy that sits here and says, "Oh, why didn't she?" You know, she probably assumed at first, and I would have too. It's tough when you're live and there's cameras on you and you deal with something unexpected. I would have assumed initially that uh, this was a person who was, you know, emotionally disturbed. And so there's that. But as a function, as a function of the message here, like what this person is saying, even though I know that it's, you know, saying eat the babies and we only have months left, it does show you that the left's rhetoric on this stuff is so crazy that it's not that far. It's not that far from what mainstream Democrat politicians say. They don't say we're going to eat the babies. I, I get that. But, okay, this woman says that we only have months. They say we only have years. That's insane. When they say that, that's crazy. We don't only have years or else we're all going to die because of climate change. That's a crazy position. So this did in some ways illuminate that. And I think that uh, that's why it caught so much attention from people. Um, and the fact that AOC was dealing with what she thought may be a distraught woman, um, I, I think we need to be, you know, we need to be careful that we don't just immediately criticize a Democrat member of Congress because that person's a Democrat. I think she handled, I think she handled this actually reasonably well under the circumstances. And I, I think that it was, it was quite a moment, you know, now people were doing hashtag, Eat the, everyone understood that it wasn't real, I think, cer- certainly afterwards. Um, but this video went viral about eating babies. And uh, I thought I should share it with you, so I did. Though they used many labels, all of the Democrat plans would devastate our health care system. The fake moderates on the left are telling the same lies they did under the last administration. But the last administration, frankly, was moderate compared to the maniacs that you're hearing from today. These are maniacs. <laughs> oh man, he's he's on to something. 
There are maniacs, maniacs, but they're libs. And they're being crazy commies like never before. Something like Hey, some people yesterday liked the bad singing. I got notes about this. We'll get into the roll call later on. Yeah, it, I see notes uh, the contrary, saying the contrary there. All right. Well, we'll have to add it up, all right? It's, we're, we're a democracy here in the Freedom Hut, kind of. You should make a Twitter poll. Should I stop singing on my show? You know, yes or no? You know, I never made it. I never made it into American Idol, and I just feel like I didn't get it out of my. I didn't get out of my system. Uh, but you know, it, it is what it is. But tr- Trump's point here about how crazy the Democrats are now versus before is really well taken. Think back to what some of the policies were under the Obama administration, or rather, when Obama was running for office in two thousand and eight. Um, a lot of it was just. Really, the, the strength of Obama's personality and personal narrative that pushed all that through. But the on the policy level, you know, the, first of all, he ran as a traditional marriage president, which is so interesting and it's just been completely wiped away from the history books for the most part. And, and you know, Hi- Hillary also has, has gotten very, in the past, has gotten very testy with people in interviews over her previous support for traditional marriage, including... Her support for it when her husband signed the Defense of Marriage Act when he was president, President Bill Clinton. But the craziness has gotten out of control. I mean, the worst stuff I think you see is on on climate change. That's where they really spiral off into another universe. That's where you can see there's there's some serious stuff that needs to get addressed here and some emotional stability that we need to work on with Democrats. But there are other places as well. I mean, Bernie's plan for the economy would would really radically go after uh, billionaires. And I understand that there's an initial, you have this initial impulse from people, well, do billionaires really need a billion dollars? I think AOC actually said earlier this week that nobody needs a billion dollars, which is an interesting position for her to hold considering so many of the media outlets that support her and that are always defending her and, and elevating her stature on the national stage are owned by billionaires. Uh, I wonder what would happen if they did not have that consolidation of wealth in their hands to push left-wing propaganda on all the rest of us. Uh, it's only the conservative billionaires they really want to go after. There'll be some separation, some uh, special privileges for the liberal billionaires out there. All right, team, I want to tell you about the Justice for Warriors Caucus. Due to the Obama administration's overly restrictive rules of engagement on the battlefield, many of our nation's warriors are finding themselves in trouble for merely doing the job they were hired to do fight a war such is the case with sergeant Derek miller who after serving nine years in confinement eight at leavenworth prison was finally paroled on may 20th 2019 justice for warriors caucus is seeking to undo some of these uh, unfair sentences that take our warriors off the battlefield and hold them accountable for things that are unfair based on the rules of engagement we're now joined by Sergeant Derek Miller. He is a military advisor to Representative uh, Louis Gohmert of Texas. He's also executive director of the Congressional Justice for Warriors Caucus, and Congressman Gohmert himself is on the line with us. Gentlemen, thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. with you, Buck. All right, before we get to the, what, the, what the Justice for Warriors Caucus is doing, I just want to know if, if Sergeant, Sergeant Miller, if you could tell me just your, you know, we've got a couple minutes, you could just tell me your story and how you came to this point. Sure, Absolutely. And uh, for me, this all started back in 2006 when I joined the military. I was immediately deployed with my unit. I served 12 months in Iraq, and 
I volunteered for two deployments after that. So in a span of four years, I deployed to Iraq twice and Afghanistan once. And 2010, I was on the last week of a 12-month deployment. We were out on a high-stakes mission to recover assets that the Taliban had taken from the Afghan army. And in the process of an insurgent infiltrating our perimeter, I stopped him, questioned him, and began to try to ascertain why he was in our, our perimeter. And in the process of that interrogation, the man reached up, grabbed my gun. I fired a single shot, and I killed him. My unit was attacked probably 20 minutes later, a complex attack, and members of my unit have said, had I not raised that threat level, that men and my unit would have died. So basically, the prosecutors did not collect forensic evidence. They didn't do any of the investigative work that you would associate with a trial or a court-martial. And I was denied a, a fair trial, and I was sentenced. How, how do the initial charges, if I may just ask, Sergeant Miller, how the initial charges even come up? It sounds like this is a battlefield, self-defense, lethal, for, lethal use of force case that wouldn't even get to that level. Who, who blew the whistle, so to speak? Uh, it, was, it wasn't even a, a whistleblowing type incident. It was essentially a rush to judgment, a jump to political correctness, they pay the local nationals and the insurgents a lump sum of money before the investigation was even completed so that they already had come to a conclusion that an improper killing had taken place. And they but, essentially – go ahead. Go Congressman Gumbel, go ahead. I was just going to throw in, yeah, uh, I testified at two of uh, his uh, um, proceedings. One, the last was a parole board. Uh, and I got intimately familiar, and he had a high-ranking sergeant who said, you know, if they have a, a death, uh, then they, they're they supposed to forward information, and that he regret, regretted ever just doing his job and saying, yeah, we had a death. If he had known this was all going to happen like this to Derek, he would never have even reported that there was a death. But this guy would come through their camps. And I couldn't believe it, Buck. They had a rule that even if they saw somebody as a Taliban and participating with Taliban, as Derek and others had seen this guy uh, the day before, they couldn't shoot at him. They couldn't stop him, even when they were equipped with weapons. And this guy they had just seen with the Taliban with an AK-47 the day before circling their camp. Now he's walking through the camp. And he was recognized. And what what happened when this political pressure came to, uh, hey, they, a, a, uh, an Afghan was killed. Doesn't matter if he's Taliban or not. We need to show Karzai that we're going to prosecute people that kill Afghans. This guy was walking through their camp, and, and Derek knew he wasn't supposed to be there. But they were not allowed to take anybody um in custody or defend themselves so he's demanding answers and he's using a a a translator and the guy first said hey uh, i'm here fixing plumbing he said you got no tools that well actually it's electrical stuff i'm fixing and i didn't need tools yes you need tools where are they didn't have them and so derek has out his pistol the guy grabs for it the witness was the translator who had been trying to come to America and had been denied visas a number of times. And so when we get political 
um, influence involved, they tell the tra- the translator, look, if you will say that the Taliban guy never grabbed his gun, then we will bring you and your whole family. We'll give you visas. You can come stay in America. So he said, oh, that's it? Sure, I can I can say that. No, he never grabbed the gun. And so that's what was used to convict him. So, yeah. so the prosecutors, Congress and Gomer, just so I understand, their contention was that after multiple deployments, uh, military decorations, honorable service, that Sergeant Miller just for no apparent reason pulled out a pistol and executed this guy. That was the prosecutor's yep, contention. Yep, basically. Yeah, yep, yep. There was wow. no reason. It was, And they convicted him of premeditated murder. And at the first review board, I was going, look, I, I've, I've tried courts martial many times. I know telling how many when I was in the Army. Uh, you telling me this was premeditated? That's outrageous because he couldn't get parole as long as the premeditated finding was on there. Uh, but uh, one of the tough things in, in military court marshals or courts martial is that the person who sends the charge, he signs and sends the charge, the commanding general, commander, he handpicks the jurors. And it isn't like they have 150 and they get down to 12. Whoever he picks to be on that jury that's not deployed that day serves on that jury, and they know why the commander picked them and put them there. So it is an aspect of um, a court-martial that can you know, send an innocent guy like Derek to prison. And once uh, I got to know Derek, and in fact at his parole hearing, the, um, the, the board said, well, you know, you got to have a job to go to. Uh, and I said, look, he's had three job offers, has them waiting in it. If he wants, he can come work for me. And I've been thrilled. I've learned so much more about uh, the improprieties that have gone on in sending honorable, honest, like First Sergeant Hatley, 20 years, a First Sergeant, two bronze stars. They convict him of murder. No bodies, nobody missing, no forensics, no shell casings, no blood, no nothing, no identity of the supposed dead bodies. But, hey, it got a uh, a lower-ranking sergeant out of an Article 15, and that's why he testified. And they sent that. How long has he been in prison now, Derek? Sergeant Hatley's been in prison for 11 years now. It's just this is one of the most honorable people you ever met. Sergeant Miller, can I ask, how how did you, now that you have been paroled as of May 20th, 2019, how did you get involved in Congressional Justice for Warriors Caucus? Congressman Gomer approached me and asked me uh, to to help, you know, guide and and facilitate the the knowledge and the experience with the guys that I was confined with, with some of the experiences that I went through having going through a court martial and seeing the, the misconduct of the courts. And he said, look, what better person to help the members of Congress understand what these soldiers are going through than a soldier who has actually gone through it. So I'm incredibly blessed to be able to wake up every single day and fight for the men that I know are good, hardworking, honest Americans and who are patriots who went overseas to fight the Taliban. Congressman Gomer, what can what can Justice for Warriors Caucus do now? What are you I, I know that. Uh uh, Derek, uh, Sergeant Miller is very involved with this, but what from the congressional side of things, what would you like to see happen? And obviously you want people to know about this so that there's more support for it across the country. What needs to happen next? Well, 
as uh, Derek has laid out, you know, they had never seen a member of Congress come to Fort Leavenworth. To It's a prison they call the disciplinary barracks. And uh, so actually a few weeks ago, we had some members of Congress go out there. They're part of the Justice for Warriors Caucus, concerned about our military people being mistreated uh, through a court-martial. And so uh, it's amazing, but when members of Congress who have the power to totally change the UCMJ uh, and the way things are done, when when we get involved, it's amazing how uh, concerned people in the military get about uh, their system. So uh, we're already seeing, you know, some effect and we're going to have a lot more. We've got uh, more and more members of Congress uh, interested in coming on board. But, uh, yeah, it, it it does make a difference. And the way that the people, your listeners can make a difference is notify their member of Congress that they want them to get involved in helping our warriors and, and getting justice that uh, they hadn't had so far. Uh, so the more we have in this caucus, the more influence it's going to have and the more we can put pressure to make sure that uh, innocent people like Derek Miller, sergeant just doing his job, or First Sergeant Hatley, or Clint Lawrence, Lieutenant, uh, people like that can finally get justice, even though they've been in prison for years now. Sergeant Derek Miller, Congressman Louis Gomer, appreciate you both giving us your, uh, your time today, and uh, good luck with the Congressional Justice for Warriors Caucus. Thank you, Thanks so much, Buck. Thank you for your interest. Really appreciate it. So here we are on page three. Anybody look like Oh, I don't know. I'm not. You know what? And also, analysts need to be African-Americans, not people that are not. Because let me tell you, no, it happens all the time. It's true. I mean, I think think non-African-Americans think African-Americans all look the same. I've seen it even on the house floor, people calling Elijah Cummings John Lewis and John Lewis Elijah Cummings, and they're totally different people. I'm just saying. I see it all the time, and I love them because they, like, go along with it. (laughs) I trust people. I know. Who are trained. I know. Regardless yeah, yeah, of race, just, regardless of gender. Yeah. It's That's about the scary. training. But it does make a huge difference. Yeah, so, it okay. does. The animal. Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. Haven't heard about her in a little bit. One of the squad, as they say. She's uh, really, she, she really got deep into it here. She could have walked this back or, oh no, she goes, oh no, no, it's really true. Her contention, just so we all understand, her contention is that Facial recognition analysts should only be black in the police department. She was talking to the Detroit police chief there should only be black because white people, as she says, think all black people look the same or look alike. That was that that is her contention. I, I first of all, just it's it's one of these wow moments because no one was. She wasn't uh, in a difficult debate or something. She wasn't in the heat of the moment. This is just what she really thinks. She really believes that white people think all black people look alike, alike to the point where you should change government hiring in law enforcement to reflect her, uh, reflect her belief in the inability of white people to differentiate black people based on their appearance. Pretty sure this is like the definition of racism. You know, pretty sure that assuming that people of one race and, and I, I don't know maybe she would claim that it's not 
it's not racism that means white people can't tell the difference. It's uh, it's just their inattention to non-white individuals. Well, I guess that is racism. I, I, I don't I don't know what her I don't know what she thinks she's thinking here. I, I cannot really explain to you what her position is. I do know the Detroit police chief said this about it right away afterwards. Play six. But the fact that she made that statement, what does that say to the members of this department who are analysts, who are trained, who are white, that they in some way can't do their job professionally? That's insulting. Here's what's troubling. As a police chief who happens to be African-American in this city, if I made a similar statement, people would be calling for my resignation right now. We know that. So is it a double standard? And, and that's the number one question I have. I think the African-American chief of police in Detroit is absolutely correct. <laughs> I think he knows exactly what would happen if he had said something like this. Uh, there would be an outcry about it. And I think it's interesting that Rashida Tlaib, there's, you know, people like me are obviously talking about it, but there's not quite the outcry that you would expect there to be. When you have a member of Congress who has come forward and more or less said something that is is as a, de- as a matter of definition is racist, as a matter of definition is judging people based upon uh, racial characteristics. And, and do you think that this will be something that gets her in any trouble? No, of course not. Not really. Intersectional politics means that there aren't just uh, a con- there's not just a constant focus. Remember, intersectionality is the belief in society that we are all in competing groups based on immutable characteristics, race, ethnicity, uh, religion, sexual orientation, things like that, uh, that we're all in this constant struggle uh, between different layers of oppression among those groups. And actually, you know what? I'm, I'm really curious. I wonder how, I mean, I, know, I think my definition of, of intersectionality is good, but I want to make sure, I want to read to you a definition of it just so I make sure that I'm not missing anything. The interconnected nature of social categorizations such as race, class, and gender as they apply to a given individual or group regarded as creating overlapping and interdependent systems of discrimination or disadvantage. Yep, I was exactly right. Boom. Well done, Buck. That's right, Producer Mark. I'll get a packet of gold stars. I was going to say. Like they used to give out in elementary school. Let me just tell you guys right now, Mark is hard to impress. So... One day, though. One day. But yeah, so my definition off the, off the cuff of intersectionality is accurate. But because of intersectional politics, Rashida Tlaib is not going to be expected to... I mean, she might give some half-hearted apology, but she won't get in any trouble because she is judged under a different standard than other people would be for saying the same thing because she is herself a female and a minority. And that's what intersectional politics means, that you can get away with doing things and saying things that other people cannot, which is why she was just it it was really I think the police chief was like, what? Just dumbfounded by one. What a stupid comment, too. It's not only weirdly racist and, and bizarre. It's also really dumb. It's not true. So I don't know where she gets this. This prejudice against white people as prejudiced by not being able to distinguish uh individuals who are black from each other uh that strikes me as there's a lot more there i mean there's trust me this is not the only thing she believes about white people that is very uh would be very eye-opening and perhaps other ethnic groups as well she doesn't have to worry about letting this stuff out letting these thoughts out in public because she gets 
treated differently as a result of the intersectionality in this country and the society. So uh, it was just quite a moment. I mean, I was going to talk about the show yesterday. And producer, uh, producer Mark was like, hey, do you want to run this today? I said, oh, yeah, I forgot all about that. You know, I used to work for the intelligence division of the NYPD. And I can tell you that this would have never you would have never been able to say this to people there and, and have them say, uh, yeah, only going to hire black facial recognition analysts, Congresswoman Tlaib. That makes sense. It was a strange, a strange moment. But I, I bet you I wonder we should have checked. I bet CNN doesn't hasn't even covered the story or if they've covered it. It's some tiny news item. You have to go way deep into the website just so they could say they've covered it. A lot of these places like to do that. They know they should cover something and they don't. Oh, like this guy who's uh, from Atlantic City who stole from a uh, like midnight basketball league or after-school basketball league program. Whole CNN story today on him. He's going to prison. Whole story doesn't say anywhere. He's a Democrat. Hey, Team Buck. It's time for Roll Call. Team, I hope you enjoy the fact that the podcast of the show is available earlier in the day than ever before. We're getting it up every day by 3 Eastern or even a little sooner. Sometimes the uh, digital upload time can vary, but by 3 Eastern, it's up. Good times, good things. So giggity. That's right. Get excited about it. And I hope you're uh, spreading the word, too. The more downloads of that podcast we get, the more fun other projects we can get going here and gives us more latitude. Uh, tell people, post it to your own Facebook page. Say, hey, look, Buck Saxon shows up at 3 Eastern. You can just put the link up. It's on iTunes, on the iHeart Radio app, as well as anywhere else you listen to podcasts. So let us get next here to Stetson. Cool name. Buck, I can sympathize with your dilemma saying blank hole countries because it goes from sounding like one naughty FCC word to a different one. Yes, Stetson, it is it is true. You cannot say the letter S and then go right into H-O-L-E country without it sounding like you are saying a different curse word than the S-H blank whole countries if that makes sense i cannot i I'm, I'm not going to say it over air because it will sound producer mark you think i'm crazy you know what i'm talking about so trump allegedly no oh no, i don't, where think, you're going I don't think it's alleged so trump said a while ago that there are that why are we letting in people from all these um sh yeah. whole countries blank sh whole countries yeah. but if you just say s and then H-O-L-E countries, it sounds like you're saying something else about the country. Okay, think, I think, think I, I Yeah, think yeah, I think yeah, I yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. It's about, this is phonetics, my man. I'm in radio, I pay attention to these things. Uh, next up here, TJ. Buck, is it just me or has Drudge become, uh, started to become a little less friendly toward Trump? If so, do you think it's because he's actually developing a distaste for Trump or is he trying some reverse psychology stuff, trying to bolster the mindset of Trump supporters that literally everyone is out to get him? TJ, I've heard some people say this. I cannot tell you right off the bat whether or not I think it's uh, 
it's accurate. Um, I cannot I cannot tell you that it's something that. Uh, yeah, uh, I I I don't I haven't noticed it on Drudge, but you know Drudge likes to be a little contrarian sometimes. Drudge definitely has um, a, a sensibility that is different from a lot of your standard issue conservatives. So maybe that's the that's the best way I could answer this at this point in time. Thomas, hold on a second. Whoa, here we go. Book an appointment with Buck Saxon. No, Buck, having filed this ongoing battle between the White House and the Pelosi witch hunt crew, trying to usurp the powers of the presidency, I believe the three key people A.G. Barr needs to bring forward in his international corruption investigation are Joseph Mifsud, David Satterfield, and John Boss. These three people have all the details of the corruption that was conducted during the Obama administration. All the illegal transactions conducted by Hillary and Bill Clinton, John Brennan, James Clapper, Barack Obama, and many of their designees involving the U.N., Lebanon, Iran, Syria, Turkey, Iraq, Afghanistan, and everything from graft to gun running around the world. In addition, the links of these crimes with the uh, with second tier players like members of Congress, CIA, the FBI and commerce in this country. When these individuals are presented for testimony, this historic crime cabal and the magnitude of its destruction throughout the world will silence the media and indict many invisible players within the beltway. Currently, the ties between Adam Schiff and his friend who conduct weapons marketing will provide damning evidence of the incest that exists throughout our government and the criminal underworld. One of the most important players is Joseph Mifsud, whose whereabouts are currently unknown. Whoa, shields high. Well, that's quite a message, Thomas. Man, Thomas puts his heart and soul into roll call. I got I to gotta take a breather after that one. That was a lot. That was a lot of, whoo, it's like the State of the Union address I was getting through there. Those good times. Adam, fuck, what's to prevent Trump from using 300 near identical orders to tie up as much of the activist judge left as possible? Just a thought. Shields high. Adam, I guess you're saying, why can't Trump try to overwhelm the system himself? Why can't he do the Alinskyite tactic of you just put too much stuff in the system so that it can't function and then you effectively break the system by feeding the system? I don't know how that would really work with judges. And also remember that for every executive order, if, if he just put things forward that were flimsy, for every executive order that gets shot down, there is some political price that the president likely pays for that, right? So for every time there's something that a judge gets to say, oh, no, Trump can't do that, there are people who are going to point to it and say, see, he's the tyrant that we've always said he was. So there's one way of saying. Also, I just don't know how quickly it could really even tie them up. I'd have to. It would have to be, and they could always just review it very, very fast and knock it down. I think if they wanted to. But interesting process question. I can't say I have total mastery over it. So thanks for writing in, Zach. I know you aren't a college sports fan, but there's a guy on college uh, game day named Bear that sounds exactly like. Producer Mark. P.S. I have no idea what producer Mark looks like. You you sound like a guy named Bear from College Game Day. Do you know who this is? I don't. I've never heard of a person named Bear. I have watched College Game Day before. I guess not in a while. Well, maybe we should pull a little bit of some Bear audio. Okay. We just had it. Like Perfect. A gri- gri- well, look grizzly how quick Bear. That was. Yeah. Yeah, that was another. I, I do fuck. have quite an announcer voice. That was my Bear voice, and that didn't. But like an actual bear. Yeah. It didn't make sense. I'm not on college game day, though. Thanks for asking. 
Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you will be. Maybe. Got a, he's got a good announcer voice, folks. Let's not have Bear steal producer Mark from me. That's not That's not good. Brooks, let's see what we have here. Great analysis yesterday on the 4.30 to 5 Denver slot. Would like to see that written word for word. Well, in fact, oh, no. we are now putting up transcripts of the uh, monologue in the Buck Sexton show on BuckSexton.com. So always feel free to go and uh, check it out there. And uh, you can post it on your Facebook page, share it far and wide. BuckSexton.com is a live site and things are happening there. I guess this means you want me to do that today, doesn't it? Probably, uh, producer Mark. Yep, that's what happens. That's what happens. Well, thank you. I'm glad. I folks out there in Denver, thank you so much for listening. I know we're, Denver's a new affiliate for us and appreciate that they enjoy the show. Monica, uh, Monica writes, Hey, Buck, I heard a lib on your show say the biggest killer of African-Americans is guns. Not true. The biggest killer of African-American children is abortion. Uh, Monica, by the numbers, I believe you are correct. Of course, the, in fact, I know you're correct. Of course, the uh, the truth of uh, the left and abortion is that they do not view that as killing. They view it as a medical procedure. We disagree with that uh, in conservatism, but that's where it is. Uh, let's see what we have here. June, love your 3 p.m. podcast. I listen as soon as it is available. Been listening for many years. You're my go-to guy. Thanks for all you do. Joan, thank you. I'm so glad you like the earlier podcast time. Want everyone in on this action. Faux, faux show. Which is how about 15 years ago the cool kids used to say for sure. I don't think they do that anymore, though. I'm a, I've actually reached a point now where I can't even speak young, hip, young, hip person slang. I don't even know how to describe it. That tells you how good I have. Like, what is, I remember when I was a kid, everybody would say something was dope. Oh, that's so dope. I don't think you can say that anymore. I mean, you could. You'd probably get made fun of. Yeah, I mean, you're allowed to say it. Yeah. But then you'd probably sound like the old-fashioned version of a dope. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What, what is it? I don't know what the cool stuff, cool well, kids like, well, say what, Something is really cool now. What, do people just say it's cool? Have we just gone back to basics? I guess. I mean, I'm not a cool kid. I if don't I know. If I was in California, I could say it's hella cool. Uh, hey, it's hella cool. You'd be really high, though. That's true. Mm. I'd be like, I'm going to vote for Bernie. It's hella cool. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, all right, let's see what we have here. Uh, Eric, next up. Being a veteran who was medically retired and a libertarian, I keep telling people that I'd still fight for and die to protect their right to say whatever the hell they want, but I don't have to protect them from the dumb stuff that comes out of their mouths. I'm going with Republican again uh, this go around because I just can't, hate the way the left wants me to shields high I keep telling the truth you have made me a listener for life well eric thank you so much i really appreciate you listening and shields high to you um all right copernicus that's a cool name copernicus 88 miles an hour the flux capacitor producer mark knows what that is come on man does he do you not? Have you not seen Back to the Future? I'm kidding. I know what that is. Oh, my is. gosh. I'm just messing with you. We're going to give you a code red for lack of movie knowledge. Unacceptable. Um, but Copernicus is an, obviously the name of Dr. What's the, what's the doc, doc? What's his doc what? What's his, uh, doc Watson. Uh, yes, Doc Watson. Doc Watson, right? Is it Doc Watson? No, it is not Doc Watson. No, it's not Watson. Doc Watson. That's a bar it, in no. New York. Or was. Now you're making me think. Doc. I'm not supposed to think here. What was the guy's name who was uh, Doc something or other who's... 
in uh, Back to the Future. Yeah. Anyway, Mega Copernicus' the name slow. of his cat. Copernicus! That was Lloyd, uh, what's it, Lloyd something or other? That was some of his finest work. All right, Copernicus writes, sorry, we've had way too much fun with your name. I'm jealous. My name is Buck. No one says like, oh, you're so sophisticated because your name Doc is Brown. Doc Brown. Doc Brown. Thank you, Doc Brown. And yes, it was Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd. There we go. During this impeachment process, Copernicus writes, are Republicans allowed to issue subpoenas and call witnesses? If not, is this really an official impeachment inquiry? If not, can a lawsuit be filed to block Democrats from using information they gather in that after an actual vote takes place? Uh, Copernicus, I mean, these, um, this is as difficult as determining whether the earth revolves around the sun or the sun revolves around the earth, my friend. It's a Copernicus joke. I know. I'm kind of off my. Yeah, I'm kind of off my game. One. I'm kind of off my game today, really. Uh, I, I don't know the process really that you're inquiring about specifically. I, I think this really gets into parliamentary procedure, which is weird because it's really congressional procedure, but people still refer to it as parliamentary procedure because we took it from the Brits. Uh, I don't. I don't know really about what you're. If this is uh, this is really an. Well, I know they can't. I don't think the Republicans can call witnesses or anything. I think the Democrats run the show. And that's what it's going to be. It's going to be meant to be a show. So there you have it. Howard. I'm a retired Navy CB senior chief. I was called the 94 drawdown. I did 24, 23 years. I returned to Biloxi, Mississippi with my wife and have been here since. I'm listening to the band. Uh, I'm listening to you band heard that poor misguided child ranting about climate change. Um, okay. And then, all right, well, thank you so much, Howard, for uh, writing in. I appreciate it. Sheldon. What up, my man, Sheldon? Sheldon is in the his house. Buck, love getting the podcast this early. Today, I was able to download it at 1.29 p.m. Central Time. Yeah! High five, Producer Mark. Don't get too big for your britches over there, though, all right? Just because, you know, now we're actually getting a podcast out early. Yeah, that's fair enough. Listening at work, making the day go quicker. You're pushing me to listening. You're pushing me listening to Rush until after I'm done. Keeping my shield high with Buck Sexton. Keep up the great work. You're the best analyst in media, bar none. And that is including the guy you did some guest hosting for not long ago. Sheldon from Texas. Looking forward to you making it down to Texas. Well, Sheldon, you are very, very kind, sir. And thank you so much for your support of the show. I, uh, I do greatly imp- appreciate it. So there we go. Brian. Right. Hey, Mark, hope you enjoy the Rangers game tonight. I'll be cheering for the Jets. I live just a few miles north of Winnipeg. Listen to your show on KFAB 1110 Omaha, 1110 Omaha, KFAB, the best of Omaha. Well, that was obviously an old message because this is what the Rangers did to the Jets. Yeah! So what, what just happened did. there, Mark? You, you, This game happened last night. Yeah. So and what the happened? Rangers won. 6-4. Oh, so you're saying this guy was talking smack. Not realizing that this was already a, well, a fait probably, accompli. Well, maybe the message was sent Wednesday. No, of course. He, said, Thursday, he, sent, it th- yeah. he sent it Thursday morning. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah, well, yeah, we're getting back in the messages here. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to come back. We'll do some out of the email inbox for roll call. Teambuck at iheartmedia.com is the email address. All right, and we're back with uh, the emails that come in. Teambuck at iheartradio.com. That's the email address. We got... David Murray writes, Buck, you have a great show. Keeps you going while I'm running or biking. My only critique would be referring to yourself in the third person. Keep up the good work, David. Well, David, we do that in a, we try at least, in a self-deprecating fashion. 
Uh, technically, my pronouns are he, him, his. So I have not changed. <laughs> see, even producer Mark laughed at that one. Couldn't help myself. Yeah, there. see, it was good. Yeah. the buck is back. And I just did third person there. But see, when we do it, it's always it's always self. It, we're always making fun of ourselves a little bit. I, I promise, David. I don't actually. I'm not actually a third person kind of guy. Uh, let's see here. Dexter, stop singing, please. All right, all right, fine. Sort of. I mean, it's going to happen sometimes, but I'm going to try not to get too deep into it. Uh, hold on a second, Craig. Hi, Buck. Love the show. Regarding cats, always keep in mind, of all the domesticated animals in the world, they're the only one that was not domesticated by mankind. They simply walked in out of the weather looking for food and shelter, which is why they can never be trusted. You've heard all of the terms about them, like they're aloof and sneaky. All true, and they definitely don't trust anyone. Keep up the efforts with the show. Craig, a.k.a. the cat hater in Florida. Well, producer Mark... Now uh, is is totally on board with with Craig, so there's that. Craig and I are besties. Yeah, yeah, he, you get it. Uh, I didn't know that about. I don't know if that's true or not about cats coming in and out of the cold for for food and shelter or whatever. That would make sense though. You know, they come over, they want to just rub themselves on your leg, and you think they're your buddy, but then they just give themselves a bath and don't pay any attention to you. It's sad. They would eat us if we died. I've heard that can yeah. happen before. That's a sad way to end the show. All right, everybody. Have a dog and cat lovers, and even people that don't like animals of any kind, I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Thank you so much for listening to the show this week. Uh, I'm going to be broadcasting from Vegas for a few days next week. I'll be at the Stansbury Conference in uh, the Aria on the Strip, so that'll be a lot of fun. And uh, please download the podcast over the weekend, share it with some friends, talk to you Monday, Shields High.